there's no risk in, in posting a picture of a bear. <laughs> and no, no one can say what. Well, well, someone can say that that bear's not very funny. That bear's poorly conceived. That bear, <laughs> that bear offends my um, gender identity. But, but if if they do, you say, well, I didn't make the bear. Yeah. So I'm I'm not responsible for how you feel. Whereas if you just tweeted some words that you thought of, then you are responsible. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better Please make me better I want to get better 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 acquainted with you Today we're getting better acquainted with Daniel. Hello, Daniel. Hello. It felt weird to me not saying your full name because I'm so used to uh, so used to seeing your full name when I on Twitter. Which, yes, although, were you tempted to add the underscore? Yeah, that's right. There will come a day when we all say you know the underscores and all of that stuff in in the way we address each other, I guess. Possibly, and, and just dot out people if we want to draw other people into the conversation. Yeah, I definitely have a lot of friends who I yeah I find it hard not to think of their Twitter handles when yeah. I, when I'm saying saying hello to them. Yeah, have that. <laughs> yeah, the first question that I ask everybody is, how do you know me? How, how, do, how do yeah? How I'm do I? I'm not sure what you're going to say. I wasn't prepared for such challenging material from from the outset. Um, I, I remember knowing about stand up tragedy before knowing about you. So maybe I went along to stand up tragedy. I think I think I remember going along to stand up tragedy, having followed you on Twitter, and going to see a stand up tragedy show. Maybe it's the one I was booked on. Maybe it was the first one I went to. No, I think you came to one before. Came to one first. Yeah, because yeah. I remember Thought that. Because yeah. you, so com- you were very complimentary about the show, which which was a good thing to hear at that point, because it was relatively like second year in, just yes. getting started again. So so, so somehow pe- people that people that we know in common had drawn my attention to Silent Tragedy. So I knew about that. Followed you on Twitter and turned up to a show, and that's that's when we met. Yeah, I think that's about it. I think we probably were in the same room, or at least like probably met each other before that, because I think I saw, I think I saw you doing uh, Jingo and Butterfield. I think. Oh right, yes, uh, with so James Ross, who's a, a mutual friend of yes. ours. Um, yes, we would have been in the same room, but I was I was probably desperately trying to think of things to say on stage and therefore oblivious to everything around me. Right. Well, I tend to turn up to comedy gigs on my own and then sit at the side feeling awkward for periods <laughs> of long periods of time. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all, it's all on me. I don't. I'm not as good at socialising in those moments as I, I as I could be. But yeah, people are starting to sort of like take pity on me as as the time goes on and sort of be nice to me before. Where I have to sort of like awkwardly leave, so that's good. Well, pity's an underrated commodity. <laughs> right. The second question that I ask everybody is, what do you do now? What What do I do now at, at seven twenty six of, of the however evening? you want to or, take it, or, or yeah. in my life generally? Well, I mean, I, I you know, the the social convention at this point is to say what one does for a living. <laughs> so I should probably do that. I, I work for for a children's charity. I work on the fundraising side, which I never thought I'd end up being a fundraiser because I don't really like asking people for money or asking people for things generally. But but I I work on the on the major gift side, which means that you're asking people for a lot of money, which somehow makes it better because it's quite a slow process. You spend time sort of getting to know people and, and talking to them about what they're interested in, and you only really ask people for money if if it's something that they very much want to do and they want to be a part of of making the world better in some way rather than kind of reluctantly giving you a fiver to make you go away. Because it's a charity as well, that probably makes it easier to ask for things. I find it really hard to ask for things for myself, but other people it's a bit easier to do. Yeah, well, I don't, I don't mind asking for small things. I'm quite happy to ask for a, a coffee or a lift or some chips. <laughs> um, but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what else I ask for. Right. We thought about it. How did you come to be doing that job? I had spent most of my 20s either being unemployed or jumping from strange little jobs to other strange little jobs, which is what happens when you do an English degree. So I, I did a bit of teaching. Um, I worked in the private sector for a bit. I worked in, in the civil service department for a bit, and I ended up in, in charities because I sort of I felt that was a better place to be than some other places. And I did a, a few different charity roles, and then sort of after I got a bit, a bit of experience, Bernardo's... The charity I work for now was, was one that came up that I thought would be a good place to work. It is. It's very nice. Some lovely people there. 
And I should say as well, we're in uh, we're recording it in your flat in a balcony, which is why we're under we've an aeroplane. An aeroplane. That's all right. I mean, listeners to the show are relatively used to it. When I when I recorded my place in Leytonstone, uh, we have as quite regular aeroplanes going overhead. Although we're not we're not as close to them. We're higher up here, I guess. Yeah, that's, like, that's the thing. I think it's city airport. Like maybe they come quite close here. I, I know that you've done improv, I guess, and you've done and got an interest in comedy. Yes, um, I did a few years of improv, and I've stopped. <laughs> um, because because Fat Kitten, which was the group run by our mutual friend James Ross, stopped being a, a group, and my improv activity died with it. So when did you start? When did you get into um, it? I, I got into it maybe five, six years ago, I don't know, ages ago, when James Ross persuaded me to go along and I'd, you know, I'd, I'd done a tiny bit of improv or, or knew what it was. Uh, James persuaded me to go along and it was it was a lot of fun because there were lots of really funny, witty, nice people that I could hang around with and be silly with and make jokes with, which is just quite a fun way to spend some time. What attracted you about improv over other kinds of comedy or whatever? Um, the fact that someone had made me do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't looking for, for a way into it or, or looking for something to do. It was... Um, it was just that there was a friend who'd organised something and was convinced me that it was worth doing. But I suppose, I suppose I'm being a little bit good there. I mean, it did, it did appeal to me. I had thought about doing it before. And I think the appeal there is, is, is not laziness, not that the fact that you can just turn up and not having prepared anything in advance, although that's maybe part of it. But the, the freedom of it and, and the challenge of it and kind of having to think on your feet and kind of respond to a whole variety of different things, it's a fun challenge. And was comedy something that you'd been into before you'd started um, doing improv? I've, I've, I really like stand-up. I, you know, I grew up as a teenager watching Eddie Azard and Bill Bailey and kind of um, being in really in, in awe of them and, and really love it, loving the kind of uh, cleverness and the joy of just playing around with words and, and saying ridiculous things. So, yeah, I suppose in that sense, of, yeah, I had definite interest in comedy and went to bits and pieces here and there and then you know doing improv and being in, in the comedy scene a little bit however however small you, you, you see other acts you go to more stuff and it's it's quite fun yeah I mean and because I mean you, you may have given up improv but you certainly one of the things that you do is you tweet I do and yes I love your tweets like I mean you're like my if I have like a Twitter envy it's probably for your account you're like, you're very very you're very kind about um I know I'm like my, a stalker <laughs> Well, sometimes sometimes people people do say nice things about my social account. I mean, not always, but sometimes they do, and and I'm I I can't help being pleased by that because um, it's something I waste a lot of time on. Right. Um, and it's and it's something that sort of seems to lend itself to how my brain works sometimes. Yeah, kind of what you do on Twitter. One of the things you do, probably the main thing you do, is comedy, right? Is is jokes of some oh, kind. Oh, I don't know. Is is that is that right? I don't. It's not totally funny all the time, which is not to say like when it means to be funny, it's funny. But but, but yeah, I, it, there there is much more thinking involved in your humour. Like, and there's a there's a there is a lot of commentary you get mm. you do, and you do a lot of like you know like we all do. This is what's happening in my life. So there's a mix of stuff. Yeah, I sort of I lose sense of how much of different types of things I'm tweeting so I, it's, in, it's interesting to hear what other people think what what comes across because I, I do tweet some things that are sort of like jokes or try to be and I sort of kind of always feel a bit bad about that um, and I, and, I, and then I tweet boring things about my life which I also sort of feel guilty about because I feel no one will care and then I tweet pictures of animals which funny pictures of animals that are on the internet and yeah. I've, I've, I feel fine with that because you know, people like pictures of animals. That's funny. That's funny. That's the one I filter out. Out of <laughs> three, but that's but that's fair enough. I understand people yeah. like pictures of animals, and I and when I look at them, I do like them. But I guess I'm always searching for yeah, you know, more than just a cute moment. But I do, and not that sounds again, yeah, no, that sounds no, judgmental. No, not at all. It's it's just there's no risk in in posting a picture of a bear. <laughs> and no, no one can say what. Well, well so, someone can say that that bear's not very funny. That bear's poorly conceived. That bear, <laughs> that bear offends my gender identity. But but if if they do, you say, well, I didn't make the bear. Yeah. So I'm I'm not responsible for how you feel. Whereas if you just tweeted some words that you thought of, then you are responsible for what they say and how and and how people respond to them to some degree. Um, so it's much higher risk. Yeah. But but I mean apart from the the animal pictures, which I, you're right, it is a big it is a big uh, big 
big percentage of your Twitter. From yeah, there's probably less to say about that. Um, yeah, exactly. But um, I mean, the, the, the other stuff that you do is observational. Like sometimes it's observational humour. Sometimes it's got like a, a serious point behind it. Like, but it's all sort of observational. Yeah, I definitely feel guilty about making serious points. Yeah, because <laughs> because what the fuck do I know? I don't. You know, I don't. I didn't read that much. I didn't do anything important in the world. But then sometimes, as we all do. I end up with an opinion on something. It's really, really easy to have opinions. They just sort of happen. And, and sometimes you end up feeling really invested in them and feel like you ought to tell people about them, which I, which I think is generally a bad idea. But I do sometimes do that anyway. Well, you apologise for having opinions profusely yeah, what, before what, and what, after. What percentage of my Twitter feed do you think is apologising for the rest of my tweets? <laughs> I, also, I also worry and feel that like I should apologise for how much I apologise, which is, you know, kind of the, the clichéd yeah, anxious person's response. Sure, that, that's true. But it's the way you do it, I think, that I enjoy. Like, it's, I think, it, and it's, I think you've got a particular tone that I sort of, like, envy. Like, I think I... I, I you know, sometimes I tweet well, sometimes I tweet badly, but what I'm not is I'm not consistent, I feel like. And I think I feel like you've got a kind of really consistent tone, I guess. I think I think <laughs> I, I feel like I veer between sounding really grumpy and smug and self-involved and kind of endlessly <laughs> apologising for that and trying to undercut that and make people realise that I don't actually feel those things. And I feel that the, the balance doesn't matter so much as the fact that I feel bad about it. That's, I feel that's the crucial thing. And yet you're compelled to keep tweeting. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, to, to, to the extent that, you know, I, it really is a struggle to like to just stop for a day or so because I'm. It, it's that, it's, it's, it's the, you know, endorphin kick of, of getting response and, and, inter, and interactions and the thing of it being a variable reward. You know, psychologists have shown that, you know, if, if you get a reward sometimes but not other times, that's that's far more compelling than, than something that's predictable, right? Um, and the fact that you don't know what response you get is that 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 anticipation, that uncertainty, is, is what makes these things very compelling. And so you, I mean, even though you've given up improv, you still like have a some element of desire for an audience, right? Because you've got your Twitter, and you do have a few other things as well. Yes, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I like I like getting a response from people. I like I like sharing things. I like making people laugh or. or respond in some way um I, f- I find that really enjoyable i find it a really good way of of, um, of meeting people and of, uh, doing something interesting and of, of, of feeling things in in the waking hours yeah sure i mean i i, I also feel this way so i mean i'm not certainly i, I think that's a, and i think a lot of people feel the desire for an audience and in fact probably everybody feels a desire for some audience it's just the size of that audience is kind of dependent on how much you sort of want to interact with people or not yeah yeah it seems fair. although some of us i don't know i think the thing is it's often the people who find it hard to interact with people are the people who are desire like have the desire to then find an audience it's a weird it's a weird kind yeah of yeah you can definitely want to interact with people and, and not be good at it or not quite <laughs> know how to do it and i think i think twitter is is a gift for the, for that because well, a, a there's, there's there's not really a time pressure. You can you can sit there and think about what you want to say and not kind of stutter in a halting way as you do when you're trying to speak off the cuff. Um, Contemporaneously, that's not the right word at all. So it's far more difficult when you just have to say words. That's why improv is is was a much harder thing to do. Whereas Twitter, you've just got a little box and you can you can type things in it until you're happy with them, and that's when you share them, and that's when you go fuck. There's a typo, and it's right. Awful. I I had that exact experience today. But oh, you put thy instead of your. That wasn't a typo. That was a stylistic right, right, right. revision, which which you felt bad about right, after. Yeah. Well, no, no. There was a uh, yeah. I should have put there was a thy. I should have put I put a your instead of a thy. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good though. I've very much enjoyed the part. Yeah. No, thank you. That was a, like that made my weirdly that it's, it was a, it's a surprise that on the day that I come to it to to uh, to. to uh, interview you is the day that I get like a a compliment from you on Twitter which is like the highest for me that's like the <laughs> highest Twitter compliment oh, stop. Uh, but it's funny because you know it is a weird thing with Twitter because like, I, I love your Twitter account and I think lots of people will this is part of the reason I'm, I'm, I'm going on about it so much but it but it's but it but it is like you know the amount of followers you have versus like one direction or whatever it's like you know i'm really excited by your words but you're not massive no one no one knows you it's i don't like i don't think i have mass thing. appeal no i think i think, I think i'm you probably do, fairly well i don't know well, i kind so, of we'll 
that 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 little bit of Venn diagram about you know sarcastic belligerence and kind of ill thought out opinions, terrible puns, and pictures of bears. Like, there's not many people who who can tick all of those boxes. I, I think. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's like I say, you've got a very distinct tone. But I think also the the there there is a sort of um, there's a a basic archetype of humor as well behind it like it's the it is the kind of self-deprecating sort of thing that, that a lot of our, our humorists in the uk are yeah sort of yeah I, I think in, in britain we are kind of you know, in, inculcated in, the, in this way of thinking that we, we mustn't be too pleased with ourselves right. and that's certainly something that i've in, internalized and i'm sort of constantly checking my my pleased with selfishness yes Right, right, right. I think that's yeah. That's one of the things I like relate to about what you say. I think is, is that I I also have that kind of a, of a feeling of like. But it's it's an interesting thing. It's like it's self-deprecating, but it's it's. I don't think we're like. I, I don't know. I'm not entirely happy with my self-deprecatingness. I would like to be free of it, but at the same time, I'm also a little bit horrified by people who are not who are free of it. So yeah, well, that's terrifying. I mean, I'm I'm fucking brilliant at self-deprecation. I think I do it really well. Um, <laughs> but it's it, it, it's weird because you you don't want to say I'm really great and, and I've got everything together because then people will think you're rubbish. And that's 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 the kind of the the anxiety that you're modifying is that, right. is that you're trying to make people think you're great by saying you're not great. <laughs> Or, or not taking the risk of saying you're great because then someone can disagree. And it's a very kind of risk-averse personality type, I think, that we cultivate. Yeah. Like you said, imp- improv is like you go out and you like have to make it up on the spot and you kind of live or die there. Yeah, and a lot of the time that's pretty shit. Right, right, right. And but whereas Twitter is also an improvisational kind of medium you yes. think of the ideas it's a very current in the moment thing like like I, I find if I don't if the tweet doesn't doesn't post you know and then it's in my draft it's like well I can I can post it now but it's not the time that yeah. I came up with it and somehow it's not as good yeah but but at the same time you can craft a tweet like you say yeah. for a long time I mean I, I also do that and and so it's it's kind of the same it's from the same well as improv but it is very constructed and precise in a way that improvisers. Yeah, so, I mean, well, I'm, I'm finding it interesting to try and think about that direct comparison now. Now that you're making me, because I haven't, I've sort of thought about it a bit, but not, not to the extent of actually trying to articulate it. And in the way, improv is lower risk, which is weird because you're on stage in front of people. But despite that, in improv, you say a thing. And then if it's rubbish, you just move on. You say something else, and you can kind of take the energy somewhere else, and you can and you can leave that far behind. Whereas with Twitter, even, you know, because because you've actually constructed it and put it together and thought about it, you know, in theory before clicking post, that's 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 more of a statement of intent. That's a higher risk because you put you put something out there saying, well, I actually think this was worth sharing, and you can't then take it back. You can't if if if. You, and you don't know what the response is, first of all. You don't know if people are going, well, that's really shit. But even if people do say so, you, you can't immediately move on, you can't negate it. It's, it's sitting there, it's recorded, and this is what you know, various politicians and celebrities have found when they try to delete things or, or backpedal is, is that you can't, once that's out there, that's that's done. Yeah. Um, in a way that in a, in a conversation in a live medium, it just isn't the same. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's the same if you're a politician, you're on camera. But for normal people, it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of, yeah, and, it's, and it remains there. And that's that. That's why typos are so frustrating. But I on Twitter because you've sort of you're, It's almost like you you've made a really stupid mistake, and it's it's going to last. You feel like everyone can see it. You know? Yeah. Well, there was a politician a while ago who tweeted about immigrants learning English and got the wrong form of learn when he tweeted it. I think he tweeted lean instead of learn. Um, yeah, which, which is you know an innocent mistake. But if if you're you know um, demonising foreigners for not learning the language properly, and and you and you leave that mistake out there. That's, yeah. you know, that's going to haunt you for a little while. Well, that's a, that's a, yeah, but that's a pleasantly hypocritical yeah. typo. Yeah. Whereas, like most typos, I mean, I hope, in a way, I hope that in the future, we'll be like, I think it, this is already the case to a certain extent. People are, are more kind about typos than we, we would have been 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, possibly. Because we kind of all know that we've done it. Like, yeah. Yeah, we've all been there. And it's, <laughs> you aren't kind to the people who had, who had spent decades beforehand being very unkind about it and don't want to give that up. Right. Yeah, but yeah, one one day autocorrect will gain sentience and rule rule over us all. Um, yeah. And I, for one, welcome our new robot overlords <laughs> or whatever. 
So one of the things that that that, that connects those things as well is uh, comedy and Im improv improvisation and, uh, and and Twitter yeah. is it, and it's the fact that you did so you studied English I guess so you have did. an interest in words. Yes, yes, I've always liked words and silly words and clever words and the way they fit together and, and the way people respond to them it's something that I, I find very very interesting but I, I mean I, I feel like a fraud talking about it in interviews it's not something that I've ever done well enough or, or interesting enough to actually have a, a valid opinion upon well, I don't think but but um but I'm now I'm just showing off my self-deprecation skills aren't I with this <laughs> all that. yeah well I don't think having it I mean one of the things that this this show is is about what people's interests are to mm. a certain extent or their life experiences and so I don't think you need to have like excelled in this in this sphere to have an interest like to, for that to be something that you're interested in and you have something to say about no and that's entirely true but it's interesting going, going back to what I was saying before that, that you know the, the guilt I feel about having an opinion over more than 140 characters I sort of I do kind of feel like I, I immediately have to qualify that and say well, look, well don't don't take this too seriously because yeah. because it's, again it's that risk aversion someone will listen to me saying these things and go he doesn't know what he's talking about and I'm, my instinct is to preempt that and go ah oh, I don't know what I'm talking about caught you there you can't say that now right 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 it's a terrible habit well it's 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 it's, 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 it's a funny <laughs> habit like it makes for humor but uh, it's, it and it has its strengths as a habit but you mm. know it's it, it's a habit so it is sometimes it will be uh, frustrating i guess for you and for, for people listening to you, I guess. Possibly. But that's, I mean, that's the only, it doesn't matter what you do to try and, uh, to, to try and make, like, present yourself in a positive way. Whatever, whatever choice you make, uh, people will potentially get annoyed with. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I think, I think that's something you have to kind of confront if, if you're going to be anyone who says anything in a, in a context where people hear it, is that there will always be someone who thinks you're a terrible shit for whatever you just said and yeah. you just have to accept that's the thing yeah I mean that's the thing yeah that is yeah I spend my life in that kind of yeah and it's, just, it's a funny thing as well like if you're someone who's quite like anxious which I am it's, it's like you spend a lot of time worrying about that one person who could be mm. offended by you yeah. and like you, you don't notice the 50 people who are alright with what you're saying and you know even the two yeah. people that like it you yeah know? and I think I think that's that's a tendency that, that a lot of people have to to focus on on the negative and, and to isolate that and yeah um, but I'm sort of making a career for focusing on the negative these days yeah <laughs> but yeah negative things can be useful and interesting yeah absolutely that's yeah, which is which is you know that's and, and that's and that's something as well I think that does come through your your like your Twitter as well. Like one of the things I like about it is it has a, a, a kick sometimes. It isn't always positive. It isn't always happy. It's quite yeah. often it's quite often critical of things, or but not but then but then critical of itself for being critical. It's like, you know it's mm. slippery fish or just self indulgently bleak. It's yeah, right. Self indulgently bleak. Well, I'm I'm into that. <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my thing. But the other thing that you do, I guess, uh, that I know of, anyway, is that uh, you, you make magic. You do magic. You're a magician. Yes. God, I even I feel even guiltier about that. So Goodness. That. Yes, because that's that's again, it's something that I really enjoy doing, and I, I enjoy doing magic tricks because I enjoy getting responses and and getting reactions from people and playing with ideas of how things ought to work. But the difficulty with magic. If you're someone like me, and arguably if you're not, is, is that it just forefronts the ego a tremendous amount. At, at, it, at its essence, magic is, is fooling someone, is, is proving that you know something the other person doesn't. And that alone is, is, is not particularly entertaining or insightful or artful, it's annoying. And that's why the vast majority of magicians are quite annoying, because their entire stick is... I can do something you can't do. Particularly kind of teenage magicians or teenage boys, 99.999% of the time, come to it because it's, it's, a, it's, a way of, it's a way of showing off. It's a way of showing that they, they have power, they can do a thing, and saying to someone, I have power and worth and, and value because I, I can do this thing which you can't do, which is a bit antagonistic and, and a bit annoying because you just go, well, fuck you, you can do this thing. It's not very useful, is it? So, so whenever I do magic, I'm, I'm constantly trying to find a way to work within that context that doesn't do that and that is actually something that's, that's, that's fun and interesting which and if if you ever see someone who is a you know a, a really really good magician i think i think darren brown's probably the best magician working in the country at the moment and and sometimes when you see him work it's, it's something that's 
you know, really you know, emotional and engaging and interesting and, and you don't know how it's done and that's brilliant and that's mysterious rather than puzzling and that's, that's something that I, I find really interesting and really worth going for. Yeah, although Darren Brown, to a certain extent, is is demystifying the experience as well. He does, to a certain extent, often reveal some elements of what he does. Right. Yes. This 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 is where I'm going to find it difficult not to have opinions again. Um, so there's a long history in magic of, of of debunking things. You know, Houdini was was debunking spiritualists long before people like Randy and, and Rich Wiseman came along more recently. And even going going back further than that, there's some really interesting stories from, from the 19th century about magicians who went off to prove that their magic was stronger than the magic of other cultures and, and, and things like this and it's it's often pre- presented in kind of a, a rationalist framework but that's very difficult however you do it because even if you're not one of the people who's who's being very fraudulent and and setting out to be really duplicitous in the way that you know psychics do at the moment pretend they can talk to the dead that's exploitive and, and horrible even if you're trying not to, if you're trying to be a debunker like Darren Brown and say, I, I'm, I'm a sceptic, I'm a rationalist, I'm telling you things, you're on really thin ice because you are still fooling people and you're trying to have it both ways by fooling people and sort of alluding how you're telling them but not really. And the, and, and the point where I have an issue with this is, is where Darren Brown allows people to, to think that he's using NLP and non-verbal subconscious cueing and this kind of thing when he isn't. And, and, and builds up this this idea of, of what's possible based on what's currently the, the zeitgeist in, in, in popular psychology, popular science, because people want to believe that you can tell when someone's lying by looking at their their eye movement. People want to believe that someone's pupils will dilate and their eyes will look up when they're feeling a particular emotion, and, and that if you just get good enough at reading uh, these subtle cues, then you'll be able to do what Darren Brown does, and, and you can't because he cheats because he's a magician. I feel that for someone who, who's very quick to denounce psychics and homeopathy, he strays very, very close to over-popularising this idea of, of, of unconscious cues in the NLP, which, which is also bollocks, or at least bollocks to the extent that, you know, that people want to believe in it. And I think that's, and that's something that I, that I find difficult as well, because you know, that's, it's a really compelling thing to do, to do that mind-reading shtick and, and, to, and to go, oh, I, I can tell what, what you're thinking of and I can get out of you by, by looking into your eyes. It's really, really compelling to do that, convincing. It's a really impressive thing to do, but but it's 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 false, and I, I find that falsehood tricky sometimes because you're you're deceiving people in such a plausible way that they think they know how they've been deceived, and and you've deceived them in a far more banal way, and maybe that's justified, and maybe that's you've created something that's interesting and beautiful by through your banal methods and, and there's something dramatic and engaging in that presentation or maybe you've you know led a company executive to spend three thousand pounds on nlp training for their staff which is not necessarily going to help right. so i don't know i have i have lots of opinions you do. <laughs> i mean what did you get into magic as a teenage boy then i did yeah so i you know i, I was a lonely teenage boy who wanted to show up and I think I, I think I also just found it incredibly impressive. I just I just really loved you know going to magic shops and, and shows and watching people do, do these things, and I found it really enthralling. It was something that I just wanted to be able to do, and it's something that that throughout my life I've I've always ended up coming back to because there's so many different elements of it that I really like that, and that I enjoy doing and thinking about, which which is the reason I can talk about it quite a lot, <laughs> and will if you're not careful. Right. I mean, it seems like like magic. Magic was the first thing you came across then before comedy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like li- little magic sets when I was kind of ten or eleven, and then kind of going to magic shops at, at sort of thirteen, fourteen, and, and buying books and teaching myself card tricks at home. Yeah, sort of before before you could find it all online, of course. Yeah, right. Just, just before. I'm not that. Old. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we're, we're I think we're about the same age. Yes. You know, a little bit older. As it goes, but we don't we don't, so need to, we don't discuss numbers at this point. Right, exactly, exactly. So I mean, so did you did you do magic for people at, like when you were a kid? Then did you perform for? Well, not really, pretend? not much. Because I was very shy. I was, you know, a withdrawn, isolated, introvert who didn't really know how to talk to people, as most magicians are. And I don't. Know, I did. I did magic tricks for my family mostly. I think as as a teenager and. Yeah, not I mean, not really at school. Maybe, maybe sort of occasionally other time. But I think at sixteen, I started working in in Hamleys, demonstrating the, the the magic products that they that they sell there. 
and that was the first time I kind of had a proper public audience, oh, yes. I think. Is it something that you're pursuing then, do you think, like your magic? magic it's something that I'm perpetually about to pursue properly. <laughs> I think it's been true for about the last 13 years. It's always something that I want to do more of and don't quite have the impetus or the know-how or the bravery to actually do much more. But I think, I think the first, first time I, I did a proper thing on stage as an adult was a stand-up tragedy because you booked me having never seen me do any magic before and I, yeah, I went yeah. along and you know, did a piece that I've, that I've done again at stand-up tragedy since in a couple of other places. So I've I've done I've done a little bit of, of stage stuff, but generally I, I do I do close up, which is smaller things where you don't have to get on, on stage, and it's easier to run away if it goes wrong. <laughs> the and, risk aversion again. And, and you like that better then? To a, de- to a degree, because I like the intimacy and the immediacy of it, right. um, which you can't create on stage no, so easily. Yeah, sure. And I'm always just less sure of what I want to do on stage. Close up magic. There's just there's just a few things that I really like that I think are really pretty or I think are really fascinating and I like sharing with people. With stage, I haven't quite worked out so much what I want to do. And, and also with stage, it's, it's just a lot more hassle. You have to you know find nice, generous people who are willing to let you go on stage. And you know you have to find find a nice audience. You know with 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 close up stuff. You know you, you can be very selective. But you know if if you if you're out on the circuit in London saying that you can entertain people and such like. Then you've you know you've got to hope you get an audience that actually will go with you being some kind of bumbling word nerd <laughs> with with some cards in his hands. You know, as I say, it's niche. Well, it's I niche. I don't know. I mean, the, you know, the, it's niche until it's not. These things, like, yeah. I mean, that's. I have to think that though, because I could. Be, it could be argued that I'm niche, but I like to think that that I'm just a, a mainstream waiting to happen. Well, you know, as, well as you say, you mainstream and millions of followers, you know, that's that's one direction. That's, right, you know, that is. Is I that guess. what we have to aspire to? <clears throat> well, we're I too think, old for it. I think we should. Well, I think we should aspire collectively for a better mainstream. Uh, but at the same time, I'm not against popular pop. pop no, art, no. Right? So, I didn't, I didn't so it's, it's a complicated. No, but I am of pop culture in general. But so. I am in that position too. It's a complicated thing whereby I like interesting things, mm. and I think that they they do appeal to a wider audience than, than, than they reach. But at the same time, um, yeah, I like also like, you know, just the, the popular art forms too. Yeah, well, no, I don't, I don't, I don't want to claim in any way that when, when I say that I'm niche, that I'm, I'm some sort of, you know, specialised, highbrow, oh, well, you really wouldn't get it, darling, sort of thing. I, I'm, when I say niche, I mean I'm popular. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's lots of things that are, are, are very mainstream that, that, I love, that, are, that are brilliant. I mean, you know, Darren Brown has, has cracked the mainstream really, really well. And, you know, at this, at this point where I, I sort of sound like a Darren Brown hipster because I, I watched it, his first show as a teenager in my bedroom and that was kind of the thing that really informed me and really got me excited about magic. And, and then I got his, his first release to the magic community, which, which I've still got was a, a VHS video about two and a half hours long of his performing his, his card routines that he stopped doing when he, when he started going on TV and, and all his... His, his card magic that was formed his early career so I'm sort of I thought oh I prefer his earlier work darling <laughs> thing going on well you do cards right you do, I do. What, you, that's your thing to just, things, yeah it's, 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 it's a bit of a you know it's a bit of a cliche magic in cards I, I do really bulk at the, you know at the pick of card cliche and that that kind of really literal thrusting of you you must take this card and i will find it again to show you how clever i am it's an awful awful trope but i can't help coming back to it because it's, it's just there's just so much fun you can have with it and i guess you sort of like it's one of the it's it's the thing it's one of the things that you practice and practice and practice i guess yeah i mean i've got i've got cards in my pocket i mean i'll take <laughs> i'll take them out Mainly just as a nervous twitch rather than anything else, because obviously no one listening to this can can see them. But like with like, irrespective of, of actual kind of performative stuff, I like how cards feel. <laughs> I just I just I'm quite a kind of fiddly person. I like having something in my hands that I can just move around and manipulate. And yeah, and you know they they sound brilliant. Like yeah, we're giving we're giving sound. them nice a nice. Uh, 
a nice bit of sound to make up yeah. for the for the aeroplanes. I just yeah, I, just, <laughs> I find that I find that very gratifying. Is it sort of and having having spent so much of my youth kind of fiddling with cars? There's just kind of a comfort to it. I think. I yeah, just, I mean, I guess they're like they're like a productive version of a stress ball because you can basically yeah, fid- fiddle with them. Yeah, but it's a li- useful literally, it is. It is having. You know, lo- I think lots of people fidget and and um, play around with stuff and, and fiddle with things, and I've I've just directed that in a constructive way in that I you know I do that and direct it at card slides um, you know people say how, how do you learn these things well, I, I, I just, you know you spend a few minutes working out how to do it and then when it becomes a habit you, you just kind of you see and you, you, what you're doing now is is it, you're sort of fanning out the, the pack yeah. and then spinning it around and making it back yeah. in and which, so, uh, which at some point was the thing I had to learn but it's now a nervous twitch right I mean and it's like it's like one of those things where it, it as, as, a, as a tremendously clumsy person, I, I sort of like, uh, uh, I can't imagine being able to sort of do that kind of precise movement with well, my this, hands. This, this, right, here's an interesting thing, right? So this is, you know, years and years of, of doing this this way around. Now, now, if I do it on the other side, nothing happens. Okay. If I switch hands, yeah, I can't yeah, yeah. do it. The, that is only there, that that motor function only works because it's, I've done it thousands and thousands learned. of times. Right. It's not it's not some kind of innate dexterity, it's having done something thousands of times. Right, right, my, right. My hand, it's the same hand, it's trying to do it on the other side, they can't do it. Right. Um, and I've, I've thought about trying trying to film something around this and doing, doing a load of card slides with one hand and then the other. So I think, it, I think it's quite interesting. Yeah, no, that is interesting. Because um, it's not... It's not Generally, it's not always my right hand. Like it's because you hold the, the cards in left hand to deal. It's, it's my left hand that can do a lot of more difficult things, which my right hand can't do. So it's not. It's not even about dominant hand. It's just about what you've done again and again and again. Yeah, I mean, you can really move those cards around. I mean, this is if only this was a video podcast at this point. Yeah, no, this is a complete waste of us. But it's. I'm finding it very soothing. So <laughs> that's the main thing. But you have got like, I guess you. you an, an element of being a magician is kind of movement, though. I mean, it isn't just words. It is also uh, the physical movement through space, right? It's a theatre element um, and a sort it, of it can be. Um, I think I think there's I think there's different kinds of magic. Um, right. There's 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 magic which is almost entirely you know movement and visual. You know, you get people. It's purely about about manipulating props and they and they hold you know, cards or, or, or balls or wands and they just appear and disappear at their fingertips and, and pop out of, of unexpected places and, and that's that's all about movement and you, know, you don't you don't need to say anything you, you can just you can just do that with with your with your hands and, and, and how you direct your vision and that, that can be quite balletic on the other hand if you get into the kind of mind reading you know more Darren Brown sort of thing you can do you can do it completely without any visual aspect at all. You can just do it with words. You can just talk to people and, and, and reveal the word they're thinking of and things like that. Um, so it can vary quite a bit. Right. Yeah. 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 But but yeah. I mean, we're we're like most art forms. I mean, even even dance. There's very very different ways you can. I mean, I did a year of dance at uni. And there's loads of different ways you can dance. Yeah. And I mean, there is a physical element certainly to cards, right? To, to what you're doing now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, an absolute push. You can do a card trick just talking to someone about cards, but that's but that's kind of at the extreme end yeah, of it. In, a... in general, yes, there's a visual element of you look at a particular card and you, when you see it again, you go, ah, oh, I recognise that. Because I mean, because I, th- I think is it something because you, you you seem to have like lots of things that you do, but n- none of them necessarily is the main thing that you do. Because I know that you do you you. you because I, the other things I know of you doing is you sort of you do theatre stuff sometimes with people with with kids and stuff, right? Oh yeah, I volunteer for a for a youth theatre group, yeah. And you also do massage, I think. Is that right? I do, yeah, I do massage. See, I'm, I'm, I'm clearly you... proving myself to be a, a Twitter stalker. Beyond, no, beyond... not at all. I I <laughs> expect people to read my tweets and pay attention. I'm offended <laughs> if they don't. And then shocked and appalled if they do. It's yeah, it works both ways. Those, I mean, those two things. The, the, all of these. I have some things, hobbies. Yeah, they all, yes. but they all sort of fit together in some ways. I mean, there um, seems to be kind of connections between each I think, one. I to think. I think. Say, saying words and using my hands probably. <laughs> probably right. that's the overlap, right. isn't it? I like, I like using words and I like using my hands and. 
you know, because I, because also I sometimes try and do other things. Like I, like I play sport and lose my feet for things, but I can't really do that. It doesn't really work very well. Like <laughs> dancing, I can't really do anything like like singing or fighting. That's that's I can't do anything like that. Anything involves rhythm or or aggression. Um, <laughs> can't cope with that. But stuff stuff around words and movements restricted entirely to my hands, <laughs> just about cope with. Right. I mean, yeah, and I guess like they they will. These, these things very often the different things you do require practice to improve I mean like yeah massage is again like a very precise sort of thing that you learn how to do over yeah. time yeah something you need to practice and, and which is harder to practice on, on your own when idly fiddling it's a different kind of massage right right um, right yes <laughs> kind of massage that's actually useful does, yeah does involve willing partners that shows a sort of like element of dedication I guess in, in what you do well, which kind of is also yeah. offset by a certain element of like yeah not promoting it not going out and doing it so much but so. yeah um <laughs> hmm uh, yeah as, like, like I say there's a, a perpetual intent to become dedicated to, to these things but it, yeah, it only it only ever goes so far. I'm not I'm not driven enough, really. I don't I don't get around to don't follow through enough on these things. I do I do enough to get get good enough to get a response because that's you know the, ultimately I'm just craving attention. Um, but but as long as I can get that, you know, I, I get lazy then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and like so, I, see that that was. So now you're like fiddling, doing actual magic tricks that I don't. Yeah, I'm just throwing you into the internet right, right, right. to annoy you. Really. No, no, sure, <laughs> it's quite good. It's quite, it's kind of an interesting new, new, uh, new challenge in my life. Do, if, 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 if all of my guests now start doing doing card tricks or anything uh, equally distracting yeah. uh, things at the same time, it will it will improve my interview and stuff. Ba- basically, sure, well, time, mo- most time. of all, I want to make anyone listening feel bad for not being here with us. That's <laughs> that's my <ultimate> <laughs> You were, I guess you've sort of alluded to being a sort of introverted teenage boy. I, yes, um, I'm definitely at least was one. Yes, was one. Yeah, I'm not saying you are one. Well, now. you know, I'm just I'm just an older version of the same thing. <laughs> well, I, I, yeah, I guess I mean, and that's yeah, I know I know what you mean by that. But though we do change as well, I guess. In yeah, the way that we yeah, engage no, in the world. I am. Well, you know, for for a start, all of these movements are a lot slicker than they were. <laughs> um, but no, I'm I'm probably a bit better at holding a conversation and um, trailing off mid sentence and sure. things. And do it with far more aplomb than I did as, as a teenager. <laughs> so where whereabouts were you at an introverted teenager? I was I was introverted teenager in South London, around Mitcham. If you've ever been to Mitcham, or or if you haven't, it, it's still I've... where I was. Um, <laughs> It, it, you know, it wasn't it wasn't very interesting, but you know, it was it was on the outskirts of London, so it was you know, possible to get to interesting places. So at, at the point where I eventually acquired friends at about the age of sixteen, seventeen, I you know I could I had places to go. I'm stuck in the little village somewhere. So before sixteen, seventeen, you you didn't acquire friends. Well, not really. No, there was there was a definite gap sort of between about eight and sixteen when no one really liked me and I didn't really talk to people very much. Yeah, I've got one um, of them. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't the most fun. No, no, no. But yeah, I think a lot of people go through, go through some of the things. I mean, were you just sort of isolated, or were you actually like? Because I was bullied quite a lot as a. I was, I was bullied. I don't, I I'm don't. Not, I'm not. I mean, I'm, I'm not meaning to guess. It's not like I don't like, you know, whatever. Yeah, no, no I was, I was definitely, I was definitely bullied for, you know, for being skinny middle class and feeble but you know it wasn't i don't it wasn't it wasn't a lot, a lot of people had it a lot worse i would say right um well there's types of bullying as well i mean there's like yeah and i'm always a bit like oh i'm a bit nervous of the idea of a lot of people have it like when people say a lot of people have it a lot worse they're always right that is absolutely always a true statement. Yes, yes. But it Worst doesn't things do happen. Yeah, it's do not they, very, it's not a very useful statement. But it, and it, and what it, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm always a bit wary of it because I think that there's just there's, there's different types of experience, and we can all like have. There are people who had it worse than me, and there are people who I had it. I had it worse than. What what we need is someone logical it's, like Richard Dawkins to rank all of them right, by order of badness. Yeah. That would that would help. Um, if, if 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 now if anyone's listening to this. 
not today. Right, right. That it's very comment topical has comment. No meaning, yeah. Well, uh, people will remember well that, Ri that Richard Dawkins is a, is a dick. Yeah, uh, people probably will remember that. That's uh, going to go down in history now, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is a kind of shame for him. Uh, well, I don't. I'm not sure he minds that much. No, I, think, I guess not. I think he. I think he enjoys the attention as much as the rest of us. And 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 I think I think if if you're at the point where you can take criticism and abuse. And, and decide that it's because people don't understand how right you are. I think I think if you've got that skill down, you're sorted. I don't think you care anymore after that. Right. Yeah, that's a. It's a skill I don't want to acquire. But no, it's, no, but it's, it's, a, it's not pretend appealing. But it must be. It must be nice to have someone go, "You're a dick," and and just feel internally, "Ah, oh, poor you. You don't appreciate you my see, greatness." That's and the thing. I mean, nice. it's a it's a it's a skill I don't want to acquire. But I wouldn't say it's not something I don't like envy. Like I yeah. definitely would like to be in a position where I didn't constantly feel guilty or ashamed or yes. like wrong. But maybe maybe that's the price we pay for being good people, Dave. I don't know. I, I'm a bit ner nervous about being a called a good person either. So. Yeah, me too. That's weird, isn't it? We both winced then. Yeah, yeah, right. That's right. Two people sitting in the sun, like as a, a, a sort of the sun. It's a, sundown now uh, wincing at the idea of them being good people yeah. like sitting in a nice day just being ugh don't like the idea of being good no no or, or, <laughs> again or, or proclaiming to be because right. then someone said no you're not you're a dick and, and you know it's important to get in there first and call yourself a dick so that that's okay yeah I mean do you think that this is a quality that you develop if you've experienced kind of isolation as a teenager it seems a bit easy to say that yeah i don't know is that is that a cop out well it's a similarity we have yeah but it doesn't mean yeah. that there wouldn't if there was two other people sitting on the other side of I that think, table i think so i think certainly part of my risk aversion is is yeah have, having been you know, mocked and having any kind of element of non-conformity from me kind of jumped upon and ridiculed as a child yeah i think probably that that's echoes slightly into adulthood that's reasonable to say yeah well yeah sure i mean i found that to be the you know uh, a big part of my adulthood is kind of coming to terms with that if you like yeah but uh, at the same time I, I i feel like it has given me some qualities i can draw on that are useful as well as kind of ones that are not so useful yeah it's a complicated bag yeah <laughs> yeah a, a, a lot of tools have yeah, situations where they can be useful and situations where they can't be, and that's yeah, there's a lot of skill in knowing uh, which ones to use when. It's like amazing. As 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 he was saying that sentence, he was changing a uh, a, a number based card into a king. I don't know. Yeah, well, I felt I, I wanted to emphasise my point to you, but again, <laughs> to exclude people who are foolish enough to not be sitting here on this lovely summer's day. <laughs> that is an interesting kind of combination of things that you have that are hobbies I mean have I missed any hobbies out and um, those those are certainly the main ones those are the ones that I ever actually get around to do anything with I mean I I suppose I did quite a bit of juggling when I was young because that was another kind of uh, showing off thing but also just quite quite a fun um meditative thing you know it's it's, it's nice having your, your mind mind body occupied by trying to do a thing but yeah that sort of overlaps with fiddling around with cards really no, I, yeah, I think certainly those are the things I would I enjoy doing and would like to do more of. So I mean, it's it, it's been a it's been a pleasure getting better acquainted with you and watching you do uh, card tricks. It's a pretty bad habit, I just yeah. It's, once I pick them up, it's not a bad habit. It's not a bad habit. I mean, as someone I fiddle I fiddle without cards, and people get much more pissed off. I tell you, I tell you what, it, I tell you what it is. It's it's a habit that, that's good in some scenarios and not in others, and you have to know which ones to use it in. Right. I mean, when yeah. I you know I'm, I'm I'm one of these people who sort of like jiggles my leg, so um, yeah. that's much more annoying than. I think, than yeah, cards. I'm glad that I that I managed to channel it to some degree. I mean. I mean, you know, I, I actively try not to jiggle my leg, obviously, now, but... Uh... Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, it's, it's just a matter of identifying all of one's worst flaws and finding a use for them. <laughs> That's what we need to do. That's right. Or at least making them entertaining to others. So, I mean, the, the, the last question that I ask everybody is, do you have anything to plug? Which is going to be an interesting question. Because <laughs> I am quite bad at plugging things. No, because I'm, I'm not even going to Edinburgh, so I can't even say... Come and see my Edinburgh show, because I don't have one. <laughs> Um, I have I have actually written most of an Edinburgh show and thought oh that would be fun to do and then not looked at it since because that's kind of tricky. so yeah I don't yeah again I'm not gonna 
plug anything so much as try and uh, build seething resentment. Um, so that I've, yeah, I've, I've got stuff in my head that's great, but you can't see it, so <laughs> never mind, eh? What, what can I plug? At Daniel underscore Barker is described as, as, as really good by, by Dave Pickering, so, <laughs> so do check that out. And I'm, I'm very nice in pubs if you buy beer for me. So that, yeah, I can plug me in a pub. <laughs> that's not, that's, not uh, that's a, it's, it's a pretty good plug, I guess. Yeah, it's at. Yeah, I mean, oh, it's 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 been a, it's an interesting it's, it's an interesting end of a day sort of time now with this sort of yeah we've literally got the sun sinking sun towards the sinking, horizon. Yeah. The birds are sort of swirling round, calling in a hor- horrific, slightly horrific way. Uh, Yes, very, just very, very, very faint, horrific edges. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. unnerving, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, well, I always find birds completely horrific these days. They're not <laughs> horrific, but like I'm always, when I see birds now, I see dinosaurs, which is what they kind of are. Well, um, in their in their sort of like no, not I mean, obviously they're not in, in the sense that sand is huge piles of boulders. Yeah, sort of. Well, they've just, they're the closest descendants from the dinosaurs that we have. Like if you look at, uh, and if you look at them, the way that they move. Uh, it just freaks me out. So, yeah. yeah, and the way that they would kill you if they could. If they were giant, if they were if big they were, giant, they, giant they would so, kill you. Right. They would have no punks about that. It's entirely exactly. true. So, uh, <laughs> the last thing I ask my guests to do is to yes. say goodbye to the audience. Um, goodbye, audience. I'm sorry you weren't here. It's, <laughs> it's, it's been a really lovely evening and a lovely chat. Um, I hope whatever you're doing, listen to it, is all right. Bye. Bye, everyone. So you may remember back at the beginning of the episode, me and Daniel became acquainted initially partly because of my show Stand Up Tragedy. Now Stand Up Tragedy is happening on Thursday the 25th of September at the Dogstar in Brixton from 7.30. Cost to get in is absolutely free but we're running it like the free fringe so it's pay what you like. So if you would like to give us some money, pay what you think it's worth or pay what you can afford, that would be amazing. It's going to be a great show, it's going to be an Edinburgh reunion special so we're bringing together the best of the acts that we met up in edinburgh this year come along it's going to be great it's going to have a party vibe there's going to be tears there's going to be laughs there's going to be thoughts all the gamut of emotions mixing together comedy spoken word music storytelling and more and if you can't come to that stand-up tragedy well the 25th of october we're going to be at the Hackney Attic with Tragic Horror. That's the last show we're doing this year. It's going to be a big one. Uh, it's a Saturday show as well, so it's one if you can't come to our weeknight shows, that's the one to come to. Stand Up Tragedy has a podcast too, so have a listen to the podcast. Experience the tragedy in audio form and then come along and see it live. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. You can find it on Facebook, Getting Better Acquainted, have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. And on the Stitcher Smart Radio app, you can download for your smartphone from stitcher.com or through the App Store.